2: It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanders and the Orr! Oh, for the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old time hockey. Like Eddie Shore. Yeah. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Pruitt.
0: Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him!
1: And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh. Hey, Scott. Lay some up for some Beast Talk right now. I'm a damn no! The Skate Pod on WEEI. Hey, welcome into episode fifty-three of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian D. Felice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. And uh, guys, last night the Islanders beat the Penguins in six games. So now we know the Bruins' second-round opponent. So we're going to spend about forty-five minutes or so going over um, this matchup. What do you guys uh, have for initial thoughts?
2: Well, I'm excited. Honestly, like my first thought in the series is I'm just so excited to see a nearly full TD Garden for a playoff series. Uh, it's been, you know, not only over a year, like 14 months since we've seen that at the Garden at all, but two years for a playoff series. Uh, so, you know, yes, excited for the, the hockey itself, obviously, and we'll break down the whole series. Uh, I think the Bruins are a better team right off the bat. Um but mostly I just feel like this is finally going to actually feel like playoff hockey, which obviously last year did not, you know, no one's even, no one's there, fans, media, or otherwise. Uh, first round this year, like 25%, uh, a hell of a lot better than 0%, but still not that, that, like, that wasn't playoff hockey. You know, any anyone who's been, to a playoff game or heard on TV, like you, you know what that atmosphere is supposed to be like, and you know that wasn't it. But Saturday night game one, that, that's that's going to be it. That's playoff hockey. Bruins going to be very close to full capacity, might even be completely full. It seems you know they've been a little bit vague in terms of what the actual number w- would be, but i I would guess it's going to be within a thousand of maximum capacity. Yeah,
0: and and to Scott's point, I think it's been. I- because I started out there this year when there were no fans, it, the ramping up kind of seems like a lot when you when you put it in perspective, when you're used to the fact that there was no one there when reporters finally were able to come back into TD Garden. But I, I've yet to witness a full-capacity game this season, and I've never been to a playoff game that was full-capacity yet. So I, I think it should be interesting. The funny thing is Bruins fans were already so hyped for playoff hockey that they definitely sounded like more uh, fans than were really there. But when they get all together, finally, it's, first of all, it's going to finally feel normal guys. Like the fact that (laughs) we actually can watch sports the way that we used to, it's just going to finally feel normal. I don't know if that's your bar uh, for, for things getting back normal, but that's kind of like how I feel about it. Just to actually see that come back. And I believe the Islanders are going to have 9,000 fans is what I read. Um, it, for, it might
2: be even more, I think. They were at 9,000 Wednesday night against the Penguins, but I, I haven't seen or heard if, they, if they're they going to increase even more for the second round.
0: And the the thing is, the Bruins actually have home ice advantage in this series because uh, it was an upset. The Islanders are the four seed, the Bruins are the three seed, so um, the two top seeds have been upset in this side of the bracket so far.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, by the time the Islanders have a home game in the series, um, you know, game one's obviously Saturday, so I would say Monday. I would say probably, um, you know, next Wednesday or Thursday would be the Islanders' first home game. So, um, you know, they have that much time to increase the capacity from what it was. And, by the way, yeah, I think it was 9,000 out of 14 possible thousand people at Nassau in their last game against Pittsburgh. And the way they – you know what's interesting, guys, is, like, they have a um, capacity limit, but at the same time, if you noticed – um, they kind of sardined everybody into the side of the arena yes. where the Islanders shoot twice. And I'm thinking to myself, so you're doing that to kind it's of like, Yeah, like what's the point of that? Because now they're all together. You know what I mean?
0: I've, I've noticed that another rinks too. It's like let's put them all together so it looks close. Like I thought the point was people being spread out, but apparently we're, that had nothing to I do mean, with the looked, fact that they were
1: – It looked great on TV. The Islanders fans – um, you know they have a very very rabid fan base and Nassau Coliseum is an old barn one of the only you know true barns left in, in in the league so i think it's really cool um you know i think it's going to present a big challenge for the bruins i think that every series uh in a playoff season does so every every team has their own challenges um you know like you look back to a few years ago the maple Leafs, hurricanes blue jackets and blues all presented different challenges for the Bruins, and I think it's no different this year, right? I think the Capitals had a little bit more star power than the Islanders do, but I think we're all in agreement that the Islanders are a a better team in the true definition of the term team, Um, and they're going to be a tougher matchup. They work harder. They're better better structured, and Barry Trotz had an interesting quote, guys, after the Penguins game. He said something he says to his teams every year is if you want to go somewhere fast- Go by yourself if you want to go somewhere far. Go as a team, and I think that that's something that the Islanders buy into, and um, that's probably going to be the biggest challenge that the Bruins face. Is a team that's committed to defense and and making the Bruins earn every foot of ice out there.
2: Yeah, just to uh just follow up on the fans being like packed in like sardines. I think New York and therefore I assume the Coliseum they're doing like vaccinated sections versus non-vaccinated sections. Like I know Madison Square Garden's been doing that for the next game, so. That might have been the deal there. Uh, anyways, to your point, Brian, you're right. Like the way the Islanders go, go on deep runs, the way they got to the Eastern Conference finals last year is because they have such good structure and they have such a good system. And, you know, a, a lot like Bruce Cassidy's teams, Barry Trotz's teams are going to take care of their own end. They're not going to give anything away easy. Uh, you know, they don't have, there's no room for players in that system who, take shortcuts to cheat offensively, you know, who aren't going to do the work to get back or play in their own zone. Uh, So, yeah, that makes them tough for any team to play against. You know, about even in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, like, the Lightning were clearly overwhelmingly more talented, and yet, you know, still had some trouble and and still had to work to get that series. And I feel like, you know, this Bruins team isn't quite last year's Lightning team, but I feel like that's going to be similar. Like, the Bruins are the more talented team. I think because they also have structure because they don't have Tristan Jerry and goal, like the penguins did. uh, I think the Bruins should win. I'm once again, picking them in five. If we just want to get our picks out there, Uh, but they're going to have to work for it. And I think this Bruins team is equipped to work for it. Like I don't, you know, they've had some issues at times this year where efforts lagged. And I think you kind of chalk that up to just the grind of the season you know, this season in particular with the compact schedule. But they look like a team to me now that will work and wants to work and isn't going to expect goals to just be handed to them. Uh, so I think they'll be ready. I think they'll take care of business in that sense. And if those things are equal, the defense, goaltending, structure, if those are all fairly even out, then the talent should come through. And that's where I think the Bruins will have the advantage. They have more offensive talent, I think that'll ultimately win out.
0: And do you guys think they also have an advantage in terms of physicality and size? Uh, I know Kevin Miller's not in the series anymore, but the mentality of the Bruins is to play a little bit more of a physical style game, especially coming off of that capital series than I think the Islanders really play. And just to the point that these are the, the three and four seed that made it out, um pretty pretty much everybody knew that the seating did not matter in the eastern Conference or not in the eastern Conference in the East Division because all four of those teams could have finished in any place, and all four of those teams were playoff teams for sure, so it's not surprising to me that these are the two teams that came out of it. I don't think that the series with the Penguins really tells you all that much about what you're about to face with the Islanders. I think it's more fair to look at the regular season series between the Bruins and the Islanders because obviously Tristan Jari gave up like a half a dozen easy goals. So, you know, they looked a little bit better offensively than they might actually be against a Bruins team. But still, you look at the season series and the Islanders took the first five games in the series the Bruins take the final three games in the series. But when you kind of go back and look at the games that the Bruins lost, there were a few games in March that they lost to the Islanders that they were they had four four of their top six defensemen missing. And and they had a few forwards in there like uh Coolman, even uh McKegg was in one of those games. Uh, and obviously he didn't play that much this season. So you you almost want to chalk those mid-season losses to the Islanders up to not having full personnel because that was the part of the season where the Bruins were kind of hurting defensively in terms of injuries and uh, whatnot and the team hadn't really been clicking at that point in time so it, it's it's kind of hard to base the earlier part of the season where the Islanders really dominated the Bruins um it's hard to kind of use that as a reference I think that um obviously they can play that way that they did and um, but I don't think that that's as relevant as the final three games. And in those final three games, the Bruins looked a lot better. Um, and they matched up well against the Islanders.
1: Yeah, well, I think um, looking back at the Bruins' season, it's almost a tale of two, right? You have pre-deadline and post-deadline. And it's almost like whoever they played pre-deadline, whatever their record was, whether it was a win or a loss, I kind of don't really count it anymore because they're that much of a different team. And, you know, post-deadline guys – um, especially once they got healthy on the back end. But I can't even recall like many losses with a full lineup against any of the teams they played in the division. Uh, a couple to New Jersey, maybe, and maybe one to Buffalo, but those teams were irrelevant, right? Like, if we're talking Pittsburgh, Islanders, and the Capitals, when the Bruins had their full post-deadline lineup, I don't even know if they lost more than one, maybe two games. Um, and that includes three against the Islanders, those three wins the Bruins found against the Islanders were when the Bruins got Hall, Lazar and, and Riley. And um, Those those three games, specifically the last one where both teams had something to play for, um, which was third place in the division, um, those are the games I weigh more than, than earlier in the year.
2: Yeah, and not only were the Bruins like a tale of pre- and post-trade deadline, but the Islanders were too. Or if you want to go back a couple weeks further, Free and post Anders Lee season-ending injury, Uh, because from from the trade deadline on, uh, the Islanders ranked 29th in total offense and 30th of 31 teams in five-on-five offense. You know they got they traded for Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac. Those guys really didn't come close to making up for what they lost in in Lee. Uh, Palmieri did get going in, in the first round. Should be noted, he scored three goals. But Zajac was a healthy scratch until Game Six.
0: Yeah, he he only has one game and one assist so far under his belt this playoffs for the Islanders. So that I wonder though if that package deal was more about the Mary part of it. Um, and yeah, it he, was. It, and like the Zajac thing kind of wasn't what they were really going for anyway. Just maybe a little bit of extra depth for them. But you're right, Zajac hasn't hasn't and probably won't factor in. Uh, so the Bruins easily have made better deadline moves and it's been visible this like Brian said ever since the deadline so it is kind of hard to to compare based off of a lot of the regular season games because I'm looking back at the lineup uh March 25th was an overtime loss four three overtime loss the defensemen were campers Voral Clifton to Nordy on D Carson Kuhlman Greg McKaig uh, Andrews Bjork on offense and then and then on March 9th Vakanainen was in Tenorti was in so like these these are guys Vakanainen obviously hasn't been in Tenorti's played one game in the first series um it's just hard it's just a completely different look especially with Riley so you go back and technically Boral at the time was a top six defenseman but he's not anymore because of the addition of Mike Riley so um so we kind of just have to base our, our predictions off of a little bit of what you could tell from the last series, maybe not so much offensively as defensively, and like you said, the, the three games that they've played most recently against the Islanders.
1: One one thing yeah, that's so- worth saying, Scott, before you jump in, because I wanted to ask you guys a question for the audience. Um, You brought up a point, or maybe Bridget brought up a point like 10 minutes ago, it was basically the Islanders – had a lot more offensive success than they're accustomed to because of how much Jari sucked. Um, and I think that, I think they know that they had that situation with Pittsburgh's um, goaltending situation, but I also think that they're going to be in for a rude awakening, right? I mean, the Bruins get so much credit for for how good their top line is offensively, but they're just as good defensively. Um, Cassidy has, you know, a different but almost as effective defensive structure as Barry Trotz does. So the Islanders are going to have a tough time, but my question for you guys is that there may be some listeners out there who don't know the Islanders too well and so maybe you guys can take this opportunity to um you know maybe mention a few players on the Islanders that maybe the common Bruins fan wouldn't know. Like for example, their top pairing, um some I'll, I'll leave them for you guys, but there are some great defensemen on that team that don't have name recognition really. Anthony Bavillier is another good player, but um, maybe you guys could inform people on some uh, players to look out for.
2: Yeah, well, so you mentioned Islanders' top pairing. I, I would say really their their top four is very good, and it's Ryan Pollock and Adam Pellick on the top pairing, and then Nick Letty and Scott Mayfield, who has really come along nicely this season. And he's
0: a very uh, physical player, Mayfield. So.
2: Yeah, on the second pairing, and they're all, you know, they're all bigger guys. Letty's the, the shortest; he's I think six feet even. The other guys are all 6'2 or bigger, and they're all mobile. So, like, that's kind of the – sort of the classic modern-day NHL blue line where, like, that's what every team's looking for, guys with size who can skate and move the puck. And they have that. And it's impressive that they've been able to get that again this season after losing Devontaes in the offseason because they had all kinds of salary cap issues that dumped salary, and he was one of the guys that had to move out. Uh, And he's had an excellent season with Colorado. Uh, They, you know, I don't want to say they haven't missed him at all because he also contributed offensively, but they've still been a really good defensive team despite losing them. And up front, you know, it's, again, there's not a ton of dynamic offensive talent. Obviously there's Matthew Barcell. uh, You mentioned Beauvillier who has some talent. Brock Nelson's a player I've always liked, but, you know, but it's a lot of, well-rounded players like there's no there's no line that like you're going to expose in their own zone where it's going to be like oh all right we're going to get our top guys out against this line and they're going to go to town and you know just completely expose them like they're at least all sound defensively even if they're lacking some some high-end offensive skill
0: and just to add a little bit more perspective on some of the other guys john gabriel pageau has been a Bruins killer, not just this season, but in seasons past. He's just one of those guys, like uh, Van Riemsdyk, that just seems to always be able to score. He finds himself out front of the net a lot of times, and he's he's someone that's uh, been very successful against the Bruins in the past. And this is someone that uh, Bruins fans may remember towards the end of the season, uh, Komarov, who there was some controversy when he butt ended Pasternak. So he's somebody that also had a uh, few—I don't know if you could call them dirty plays, but um, questionable plays in the Penguin series. Uh, he's somebody that you kind of just gotta keep an eye on when he's on the ice. Watch out for 47. Like he's—he's he's a little bit. He's like you know, a mild version of Tom Wilson, if you will. Um, so he's kind of someone you have to watch out for those kind of antics with.
2: Well, Komarov was also famously on the receiving end of Brad Marchand's lick back in the day. That that was uh, the Maple Leafs guy that he licked at that time, and uh,
0: that one good, of the, one... I had that come up as like a three yeah. year the three year anniversary of Brad Marchand licking someone. Yeah.
2: yeah, one of the questions we got on Twitter was whether Marchand will lick him again. I'm gonna go with no
1: on that one. I think I think
2: that, I think not that especially violates the place or the, time. The, uh, the COVID season guidelines.
1: But well, he he definitely wouldn't lick Ryan Callahan again because Callahan actually did something about it. Komarov just sat there and took it like he kind of you know was. Yeah. You know, thought it was Valentine's Day or something. Um, a couple other players too. Um, in addition to what you guys mentioned, is uh Jordan I believe is a player. Um, I would mention the Islanders' entire fourth line of uh, Matt Martin, Casey, Casey Sazikas, and um, Cal Clutterbuck. Um, you know, Bridget, you mentioned that the Bruins might be more physical. I, I would actually argue that the Islanders probably top to bottom would be a bigger, more physical team, mainly because of that fourth line. And then because of the – I think their defensemen are bigger um, as a unit. Um, Andy Green's, like, uh, he's on their, their, their decor as well. He's a smaller but veteran guy. But one defenseman that they also have, I believe he quarterbacks their power play. and He's a rookie defenseman, is Noah Dobson. Um, and he had about 15 points this year and whatever, 45 games. So, um, yeah, like, none of these names are going to jump off the page except for maybe Barzell, um, you know, like, like Ovechkin or Backstrom or, um, you know, Carlson would have in the last round. But again, I, I think that, you know, um, a very important piece to their team is Barry Trotz. And I, I really do think that that's going to be a big, big challenge for Bruce Cassidy in the series. Um, I also believe that if there's going to be any series that has a seventh man, uh, it will be this one. I do think that the Islanders play, when, when you have an inferior roster, um, oftentimes you try to look to your crowd uh, as an advantage. And I think the Islanders will definitely try to do that. Um, will it work out for them? Personally, I don't think so. I, I have the Bruins winning in six and clinching on home ice, marking the final game ever at Nassau Coliseum because I think the Bruins have guys that have been there and done that. I mean, Bergeron and Martian specifically have gone into Vancouver during a Game 7 of the Cup Finals and won uh, on the road, obviously. So these guys are experienced. They won't be rattled, but I really do think it's an interesting series. Um, but can the Bruins, you know, match up to the Anders physically like they did in the last round? That's a big question, and... um you know, I don't think special teams will be that much of a fear for the Bruins like it was against the Capitals. I don't see the Islanders taking advantage that much in the special teams category, but it is where the Bruins could. So the Bruins should try to do everything they can to get the Anders off their game, especially when they're, they are a disciplined team, but that could make a big difference, guys, when you have two very good five-on-five teams.
0: Yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought up special teams because I think that's kind of the next subject we need to talk about a little bit is because the Bruins definitely have – the special teams advantage, their penalty kill has just been so solid, uh, and it's going to give the Islanders more trouble than the Penguins' penalty kill did. Uh, the Bruins are plus two in terms of special teams in the first series, and the Islanders are uh, net zero. They they don't have they have three goals for, three goals against in special teams. So, uh, I think that the advantage there goes to the Bruins, and if it's anything like last series, where you know the discipline was just not quite where it needed to be Uh, and there's a lot of penalties going on that could end up working out in the Bruins favor I know we said the opposite thing in our preview for the Capitals series and the Bruins ended up making the right adjustment in order to deal with the Capitals power play and that pass over to Ovechkin for the one-timer they were able to make uh, not as effective as it usually would be but obviously the power play structure for the Islanders is nowhere near the power play structure for the Capitals. And for plenty of reasons, one being they don't have an Ovechkin, uh, two being they, they tend to want to move the puck a little bit more. And they just have, they just have a few guys that, you know, they don't have a guy that just kind of stands in one spot. Like Ovechkin, you guys, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it's going to be a different challenge. You're not just going to be able to take away, uh, that same kind of uh, pass that you're taking away against the Capitals.
2: Yeah. I would say if, if you're the Bruins, I still don't think you want to like, get drawn into a special teams battle because I think the Bruins are better five on five. I mentioned uh, the offensive issues the Islanders have had at five on five for the last couple months. And, you know, yes, they scored against Pittsburgh, but we covered Jerry versus Rask like night and day. I, I don't think they're going to score and, that way.
0: Scott, remember uh, last podcast a few days ago when you said you'd rather have them play the Islanders instead of the Penguins, and then you had to kind of rescind that? Um,
2: I don't know if I could, I mean, look, I like the Bruins in either, either way. I was thinking yeah. the Bruins and five in this series, so I guess I, I didn't really have a strong preference either way. But, yeah, obviously facing Tristan Jerry would be extremely appetizing. Like, He looked just god awful. And,
0: and the reason, and maybe the biggest reason why it would have been better is because uh, some of the momentum shifts that came in that series, just off of a Tristan Jari mistake or, or easy goal, just it changed the series pretty much, especially the one he made in overtime, double overtime, uh, just a bad pass that resulted immediately in a, a game ending goal. So that was able to change the series really quickly. And you could just see that could have happened if, if that's uh, the matchup that the Bruins got against the Penguins. But obviously we're sitting here talking Islanders uh, and the Penguins are uh, in the past. We'll see them again next year.
2: Yeah. And I guess, so just to finish off like the special teams point though, the Islanders had a really good penalty kill in the regular season. I think they were six in the NHL, but the Penguins went 25% against them. Like the Penguins power play was able to get going in that series. So, you know, and I like if you compare like Penguins power play to Bruins power play, Penguins probably a little better, but like they're similar. And, you know, both loaded with talent, especially the Bruins new look top unit that really got going against Washington. Like if, you know, I think they can probably learn a couple of things from watching Pittsburgh and find ways to, to expose the Islanders if it, uh, you know, if that ends up happening, if it does end up turning into a special team's battle. And to your point, we just saw the Bruins penalty kill shut down you know, or close to shut down a really good power play in Washington. Uh Island power play not as good. So yeah. I have a
0: question for both of you. Um it has to do with the power Bruins power play. Um do you think I'll go to Brian first, do you think that we see the same top power play unit would just load it up for the Bruins with Krejci and McAvoy or do you think we see him go back um is it a more favorable matchup to kind of spread Crachy back to that second line second unit? Or do you think he's going to keep that McAvoy Krejci Pasternak Bergeron Marchand, uh unit as the top unit?
1: So I think um, you know earlier in the in the in the month when we were talking about the um, pros and cons of you know having two balanced units versus kind of loading up on one. Um, I don't really think I articulated it properly, but I. I think what I meant when I said to load up was because in the playoffs the whistles kind of go away, so um, you're not getting well that not many. yet, but sure. Well, yeah. Well, in in theory, you know, you you would think you you want to get as many power plays in the playoffs, especially the later you go into the into the into the postseason. So my point is, you want to capitalize when you do, and I think that the Bruins' best chance of doing so is the the current look that they have. I think there's no reason not to continue it. It looks great. Um, you know they had the Martian tying goal in Game Three, um, and then they had two power play goals in Game Four. The third one was McAvoy with the second unit. Um, so it was kind of different. But anyway, um, yeah, I think it's a great look. I think maybe Scott, you have a different opinion, but I think um, one other thing with Pasternak that we talked about, they switched him over to the his strong side. Uh, that doesn't mean that, you know with movement, he can't just go back to his offside during the course of the same shift and just give different looks. I think that um, that's what was so great about what happened in the last series was him going to his strong side. Now you have that threat like Austin Matthews or, um, you know, kind of Taylor Hall when he was in New Jersey where you're on your strong side, you can rip a quick snapshot, but so now teams have to respect that. So now if he, you know, moves to the other side during the the power play, it opens up the one-timer now that has been... um, taken away for the most part the last year or so. Um, so I think that's important. And uh, John Buccigrass made an interesting comment uh, on Twitter, like uh, maybe after game four, he called McAvoy like a second centerman, um, but obviously on the blue line because he's very smart and he, and just the way he, he um, quarterbacks the, the offensive zone from the back end. I think that's a good – I think that was a pretty um, interesting – Comparison or or analogy, and um, I just really like that top unit. We all know my feelings on it, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's my opinion.
2: Yeah, I agree, and it doesn't look like they're gonna change it. Uh, in Thursday's practice, they were using that as their top power play unit. So, to your point, if, if it's not broke, don't fix it. It doesn't look like they're gonna they're gonna start the series with that, and then you know if you have to adjust at some point, like they did in round one, then you figure that out then.
0: Yeah, I think I think you guys both nailed it. it. It's working too well to take it apart at this point in time. So uh, until there appears to be a need to take it apart and and maybe get Krejci back to set up Hall on the second unit, I don't think that there's a reason to. Uh, and I think McAvoy over Grizzlick is working just fine. So uh, Grizzlick being on the second unit is j- makes a lot of sense to me as well. So I
1: think at least to start we're we're obviously going to see that loaded up top unit. Something else too, guys, is that um, I just think that the more McAvoy is one of those players, um, you know, like I think of like Scott Niedemeyer, Chris Pronger, like all these defensemen that just play like in every situation for their teams in the playoffs. When you're that good of a player, I just think that the more you're on the ice, the better you'll be for it. And I think that in the past when Krug was here, like every time they had a power play, you know, obviously McAvoy would take a seat. And then a lot of times this year it was Grizzly and McAvoy would take a seat unless the second unit came out. So I just think that now what you're seeing is they have him on the first unit, but then some oftentimes they keep him out with the second unit. And some just like they used to keep Marshand out with the second unit. So I just think the more touches um, and more ice time McAvoy gets, I just think it helps him. He's one of those players who just, he just, he can play 50 minutes and, and, and he won't, you know, he doesn't stress out. like He just likes it. Um, and the other thing too is that second unit. Um, I like it a lot too. Like I, I was, I was dying laughing at Craig Smith, like uh, lifting John, uh, John Carlson stick into the air. Somehow it didn't get an interference call, which I wouldn't have called, but this day and age, who knows? But I just think that you know Smith gets touches out there, and Coyle looks good out there, and Hall looks good, and Grizzik looked good in that second unit. He scored. Um, so I just think that the Bruins have a very reliable second unit now. But I do think that ultimately your best players need to be on your top unit. And I think that, um, you know, it's debatable between Hall and Krejci about who your top five would be, but, you know, you can't argue with the results. So I th- I'm i comfortable with where their power plays at. And you guys mentioned the penalty kill. Um, there's no more daunting task than having to defend Ovechkin's one-timer, Carlson's creativity at the point, Backstrom's vision, um, you know, Wilson or whoever was in front of the net, like they had uh, Oshie in the bumper, like they had a lot of weapons and the Bruins really committed to defense and blocking shots. And I look at the Islanders um, in comparison and, you know, they did not really have a one-time threat like Ovechkin. Um, The only thing that they have is, is Barzell in motion. And, you know, that kind of gets guys running around, but I don't see Bergeron and Martian falling for any of his antics. Do you?
2: No, I would say Ryan Pollock ha- has a good, good, hard one timer, mm-hmm. but, you know, he's, but he's not Alex Ovechkin, obviously. Like, right.
1: And
0: he's taken his one timers usually from further back.
2: Yeah, he does set up in that circle a little bit. Like, he'll drop down. I think, you know, Brian mentioned no dots, and like, I think they'll kind of rotate the defenseman and he'll end up like more in the circle. Kind of where like McEvoy used to end up at times, and now obviously he's more of the center point quarterback role. But they will try to get
1: Paul out that look at times. Uh, another important battle is going to be just like last series, um, and I think that the Bruins lost this this battle early on. I think it kind of evened out towards the latter, but um, and I brought them up earlier. But that fourth line of the Islanders, um, you know, I, 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 I see um, I look at the this Islanders team and I see um, I see a a market basket version of the twenty nineteen Blues. You know, like th- they have some big boys on the blue line, but not as good as, you know, Petrangelo and Pareco. And I think I think you're going to watch Scott Mayfield and, he, and uh, you're going to think to yourself, oh, he kind of reminds you of Pareco, the way he just bears down on guys in front of the net and in the corner. He's a big guy. He's like, he's like Ivan Drago from Rocky Four. Um, but uh, similar to, the, to that Blues team, I think they're a good four checking team, these Islanders are. Um, and I think that Matt Martin and Sazikas and Clutterbuck. Um, They'll do a good job disrupting the Bruins' defense, ultimately. I think, you know, McAvoy and Grizzlick and uh, these uh, you know, Riley, these guys, they're just better skaters. So, you know, if you give them time, they'll make the play. Um, but I think there's going to be some onus on the Bruins' forwards to kind of, you know, make those subtle little interference um, picks on the when, when the aisles are forward-checking to give the defense more time and space. Um are you guys worried about, about the Islanders for checking at all or size or anything like that?
2: Um, I'm I'm a little I don't know about worried, but I'm interested to see how the Bruins third defense pairing goes. Again, you mentioned the top two. I like them in, in pretty much any matchup. I think those guys are good get you know, spinning out of pressure, moving the puck, good first pass, all that. Uh the third pairing, uh Jeremy Lausanne was in a regular practice jersey on Thursday, out of the non contact jersey. So it looks like he'll, you know, he said he hopes to be back for game one. It looks like he will be, if not, probably game two. Uh, Clifton will still be in uh, with Kevin Miller injured, not yet back on the ice. We obviously don't know when or if he will be available. Um, you know, Clifton, I thought, did really well against the Capitals forecheck. check. That doesn't worry me so much. But Lozan is a guy who in the past, especially when he comes back off of like a break, whether it was last summer in the bubble or early this year from injury, like, it really takes him a while to get going. And, it you know, to a point of, like, a couple games to get back up to speed and to not kind of, like, cave under pressure or get caught, like, panicking with the puck on a stick. And in a playoff series, like, that can't happen. So, you know, if he's getting out there and whether it's, I don't know, Cal Clutterbuck or whoever closing down on him, like, Lausanne's going to have to be up to speed right away. It can't take two or three games for him to, you know, figure out how to handle a four check and be able to get the puck up the ice effectively. He's got to be fully back up to speed right away right, when he jumps back in the lineup.
0: Well, Scott, my biggest problem with him when he was struggling in the middle of the season, you mentioned he did have surgery, so he came back, was a little bit slow off that. But my biggest problem with him was the decision-making. Uh, Some of the passes he was making up the middle to try to clear the zone were just not smart plays. Uh, He was making some bad decisions and turning the puck over at the Bruins' own blue line, turning it over in their own end, and and teams were able to come back and make the Bruins pay for that. And we talked about this, uh, I want to say, towards the end of the regular season. Uh, do you put him with McAvoy where he kind of covers some of his blemishes a little bit more? Obviously, I, I'm guessing they're not going to do that, but if that adjustment needs to be made, they can go back to throwing him next to, to McAvoy and uh trying to see if that works a little bit better for him. Uh, because obviously, next playing next to Clifton is a lot different than playing next to McAvoy.
2: Yeah, I, I wouldn't do that just because what the Bruins have found with this, like top five-man unit, and and there's, there's been, like, a little bit of an effort to try to find some sort of nickname for him, and I don't think there's any sort of consensus yet, but when they have Grizzly, McAvoy, Marsha, and Bergeron, Potsonoff all on the ice together, they're so dangerous in the offensive zone. Like, I, I tweeted at one point during the last year it's like, it looks like positionless hockey. It's just everyone rotating, like, in and out, filling spaces, cycling, you know, you'll end up with, like, the two defensemen as the low guys at some point, and it you know, like if you studied like how the the Soviet big red machine used to play back in the day, like that was the thing that kind of like was a wake up call when they would face Canada or the US or North American teams that were used to playing one way was like all of a sudden they faced the Soviets and it would be, you know, just like five guys playing completely in sync with this incredible chemistry. And they're like, what are these defensemen doing down low in the offensive zone? We don't do this. And, it was kind of like that exposure that really completely started to transform hockey, but you don't. So, you know, teams want to play that way. It's just very hard to have five players who are that good who can actually do it. And the Bruins have that right now with those five. So I would not be touching that unless.
0: Yeah. And Scott, I'm not not saying to, I'm not saying to touch that. I'm saying, and this is hopefully not something they're going to have to deal with. Uh, if they're having to move Lausanne back with McAvoy, that means something has gone horribly wrong in the series. So that basically means they have no other choice but to try to find a way to get all uh, uh, six guys uh, pretty much not making those kind of turnovers. Um, it would be, to, like I said, to cover up the blemishes. It's It would be more of a last-case-resort kind of adjustment because obviously they want to keep the mcavoy like pair together because of the offensive upside to that pairing over the Lozon McAvoy pair, but I think it's been something they've done before. So it's an adjustment they can make. The the good thing about the Bruins defense is they have plenty of adjustments they can make. And once the Boral gets healthy again, he's an option. Um uh, Tenorti was an option in the last game if they're finding that they need a bigger uh defenseman out there instead. So I think it could it could end up that Hopefully they don't. They don't even need to think about making that change. But if they do need to, it's, it's an option for them.
1: Well, the other thing too, guys, is um, you know you can always just make adjustments for a couple shifts when you need to, and then go back. Right, no change is permanent. And you know you could have McAvoy and Grizzly together for an you know ninety percent of a game, and, and put Lazon with McAvoy if, or McAvoy with Lazon if you needed to for some reason. But I think it's one of those things. I think I think you know if the Bruins are. You know, reacting to their opponent. And, and I think you kind of, you're losing that mental edge. I think teams, I think the Islanders are going to have to try to, you know, match the Bruins, not vice versa. Um, you know, I, I'm looking at both of the teams' uh, rosters right now. And I think this is a pretty, you know, accurate way to describe these two teams because both teams have depth. So um, both teams have eight skaters with 20 or more points. Um, but the Bruins' top four points scores uh, are equal to or greater than um, Matt Barzell, who's the leader sco- leading scorer for the, for the Islanders. Um, so, like, I think Barzell has 45 points this year. Um, he leads the Islanders, and then the Bruins have Martian with 69, Bergeron with 48, Paso with 48, with missing two and a half weeks of the season early on, and Creations at 44. But So both teams have depth, um, but the Bruins, I think it just goes to uh, show that the Bruins' best players are better than the Islanders' best players, and I think that ultimately that will that will shine through over seven games, will it not?
2: Yeah, and, and by the way, it was the Barzell line. Now, look, I think Barzell is their single most talented offensive player, but that line really wasn't the one that did damage against Pittsburgh. Uh, Komarov and Jordan Everly on his wings. They run the ice for only one five and five goal. It was the line of Brock Nelson and Anthony Bavillier, and Josh Bailey. They run the ice for seven five and five goals. So that's really the line that you know. Did you say Connor Off is
1: with is with on um, Barzell's wing? Is that is that true? Yep.
2: That yeah, that's where they miss Anders Lee. That was okay. Lee. That
0: seems I mean, like a bad adjustment to to make. That's not the right adjustment. <laughs> no.
2: It, yeah, it's curious that it's not Kyle Palmieri. Uh, I wonder if they'll try that at some point. But yeah, for whatever reason they decided that Komarov is their second line left wing, I guess.
1: Hmm. That's
2: yeah, I mean mind boggling a little but,
1: bit. Barzell's also not um anything special defensively. So, you know, Scott, you had um you had posed the question like will Barzell's, you know, go into the Islanders in the draft, be passed over, haunt the Bruins. Like I think I think I think Matt Barzell is gonna learn a thing or two from Bergeron in the series. Assuming that, you know, uh they're matched up a lot. I just think that he's a young player, he's a dynamic player, but <laughs> a lot of people can learn a lot from Bergeron. I think Barzell's no different. And I just think that the Bruins, t- their best players are better than the Islanders' best players, but they're also more experienced. And they also, like I've said, I, said, uh, I think it was either between games or in the Capitals preview podcast, but the Bruins' best players are ultra-talented, but they work harder than anybody in the league. Like, the Islanders' bread and butter is work ethic. You're not going to outwork Bergeron and Martian. You're just not. And that's something that um, the rest of the roster feeds off of. Look look no further than any comment Taylor Hall's made in the last month and a half since joining the Bruins. And so I think the Islanders' biggest advantage over most teams in the league that they will play against, especially teams they don't have as much talent than, is their work ethic. They're not going to win that battle against the Bruins.
0: And and just uh, to bring up a... Slightly different subject. Um, we haven't talked about goaltending yet, uh, so there's obviously more of an interesting situation happening with the Islanders' goaltenders than we assume. Tuca will most likely, if all goes as planned, be the guy who starts all the games in the series. But uh, the Islanders have had Varlamov play in two games, right? Two two games yeah. against the Penguins, and then the rest. Of the series was Ilya Sorokin and both of these guys are viable goaltenders um but they they have a different goaltending dynamic than the Bruins Scott if, if you want to touch on that a little bit
2: yeah so obviously this is not Washington where you're going through three goalies who you don't really love any of them and yeah in this case you love both of them Semyon Verlamov was a legitimate design candidate this regular season and Ilya Sorokin is one of the most Piped up young goalies uh, in the league as he's a rookie. And yeah, so Varlamov was banged up to start the first round. So Sorokin started game one, played well, they won. Uh, Varlamov came back and I think, I think lost both of his starts and he really struggled in one of them. So then they went back to Sorokin who they had confidence in because he's played well this season. He played well in game one and he won them the the last three games and was excellent. He had a 943 save percentage in the series. I think, got to imagine they're going to keep riding him. You know, why wouldn't you? Uh, but yeah, obviously if anything happened, then you go back to Barlamo, but a perennial does candidate. So yeah, they're good there. Like I don't, you know, I think it, the Bruins are really good with two giraffes and, if God forbid something happened. They go to Slayman, who's also really good.
0: Like, and they still have someone someone sitting on the bench in Halak that you're not like, oh no, like don't let yeah. him come in. We've never heard of him before, <laughs> so they have a, they have a, a much better situation. And this is going to be a
1: go one further. Who's behind Halak?
0: I I know Ladar is. You know they have four goaltending options. He's, he's got uh, that experience. Work. He does. <laughs> it was it one game? One his first ever game. Playoff experience. He are just thrown to the wolves, but he does have playoff experience. <laughs> but, but guys, I guess my, I st- I wanted to start out this conversation about the goaltending. Uh, just to say, this is going to be a much tougher goaltending matchup for the Bruins in terms of uh, finding ways to score because, as we mentioned in the Capital Series, the goaltending was a little bit all over the place. There was not very good rebound control. Uh, they had Craig Anderson in for a game and a half um, and they, the Bruins ended up facing three different goaltenders in that series. So uh, the, one of the main reasons why the Islanders are so, so staunch defensively and they can play that kind of style of game that they play is because they can count on both of their goalies uh, to keep the puck out of the back of the end, just to, to keep them in the game. So with goaltenders like this, you're not going to see, you know, a huge loss by the Islanders out of nowhere. They for the most part uh Varlamov and Sorokin are able to keep them in the game, which to me means and it's it's going to be, you know, maybe one goal games, maybe overtime games again. Scott and I could be stuck in the garden till midnight you never know. Uh but Brian, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I just think that, you know, uh series to series the Xs and Os may change depending on your opponent, but the the formula for success you know, the core fundamentals are always the same. Um, so, you know, if, if you, it doesn't, it shouldn't matter who they're playing or what goalies in net because uh, the Bruins should be, um, you know, taking pucks to the net, um, you know, going to the net without the puck, getting in front of, um, you know, whether it's whoever's in net, Varlamov, whoever it is. Like, you know, you notice Pasternak in the last series, like, um, yeah, he had some great goals uh, in the last few games, but he also – took the eyes away of uh Ilya samsonov a few times especially the the last goal of the series that bergeron scored um i think that challenge is going to be tougher against the islanders and it would was against the capitals i think it's 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 easier to go to the net against dimitri orloff and john carlson and um you know uh nick jensen than it will be against Pollock and Pelik and mayfield they're just bigger bodies um so the bruins have to have a a higher determination level than they than they did in round one, which is how the playoffs work. But that's that that's the that's the formula. Um, you have to be willing to, to pay the price, and I think that the Bruins will. I, I I like I said, they're they're professional. They have good leaders, and and they know how to win this time of year. Um, you know, I think sometimes what happens with the against the Bruins is that you know teams get so frustrated. Um, that they sometimes, if they give up a bunch of goals, or a couple of goals, they'll let down. And that's when you'll see, you know, Pasta and Martian and Bergeron just tool with teams. And, you know, at that point, sometimes the goalies are just hang out to dry and there's nothing they can do. So, um, you know, if the Bruins play the right way um, and, and score some, some greasy goals, then the game may open up for them because then the Islanders will have to get outside their comfort zone and, you know, try to score rather than you know, trapping them or, or lulling them into a nap, right? Like y- the key against the Islanders is to play ahead of them, right? Because they want to play with the lead. And so if the Bruins can um, give them a taste of their own medicine, I think they'll find success throughout the series.
2: Yeah. And I, I mentioned this to, to Brian out there, but with Sorokin, it, like anytime I see a rookie goalie get hot in the playoffs, it's always going to make me nervous. And I think that's, you know that's stars left over from Braden Holpe in 2012, and obviously if you go way back in Bruins lore, there's Ken Dryden in '71, and you know, and other teams have ridden hot goalies at times.
1: So,
0: well, Bennington but, wasn't a rookie goalie, but he kind of came out of nowhere. Wow. He was
2: he? I think he was a rookie. that he, year. He, Was he? He or literally
1: a... was playing for Providence on a loan the year before. Yeah, <laughs> and then yep. beats the Bruins yeah. with a cup in in Boston. Talk about.
2: Yeah, um, and he he wasn't really the reason they won that series. I thought he was fine, no, but he got yanked. But he 20. was a lot
0: better than yeah, he yeah. was better than what you would have expected from you know he was playing in the the AHL and you know not necessarily that good there, and then all of a sudden he kind of comes out of nowhere. Well, Scott, and a lot of the reason he
1: that did, a lot of the reason that rookie goaltenders go on the streaks in the playoffs is because the book there's no book on them, and I think that's you know yeah. I think that's what a lot of the temptation was from people who. um we're pro Swayman. It wasn't so much that like Rask was playing poorly or anything like that. It was like, you know, could the Bruins give teams a look they haven't seen and, and kind of use that to their advantage. Now, obviously Tuca has really, really turned things around since, you know, a few questionable goals to start the playoffs and seems to be very comfortable. And I don't think anybody's questioning. Well, I shouldn't say that, but um, no um always is. Mo- mo- most people are comfortable right now uh, with, with Tuca in goal. Um, it might be a different conversation if they go to the finals and it's an elimination game. People might want swimming for one game, but until then, I think I think the Bruins are good in goal. But yes, you're right. Like that, the the fear of the unknown. Um, no, there's no book on on uh what is, how do you say it, Sorokin. Sorokin, yeah. Sorokin, there's no book on him. So you know, at the same time, he doesn't really have much of a book on the Bruins shooters. I mean, if you have Pasta with a one timer, you know good luck to him Um or Marshan with his, his creativity and all that stuff. And like, there's a lot that they're going to, the Bruins will throw at him as well. I'm um, assuming he's in that every single game, but yes, that that's a, it's a concern because you just don't know. Right.
2: Yeah. And, and like I said, just because even if you see it like once or twice, that that experience just sticks with you. Like, Oh my God, who is this rookie goalie? who just stole a series from us. Um, but yeah, but like I said, I think I think ultimately Bruins are a better team. I think their talent wins out uh, for the second series in a row. I'm picking the Bruins to win five. Uh, did, did you guys give your predictions? What 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 are you guys thinking?
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think Bruins in five uh, is is probably the safest bet. I don't know. I don't think the Bruins lose the first game uh, like they did in the in the previous series. They were kind of still shaking off the, the playoff rest a, a little bit, I guess. It's I have them like losing. Martian, Martian even kind of looked, like, nervous in that first game, but sorry, Scott, what were you saying?
2: I was going to say, for the record, I have them losing game three
0: this time. Oh, is that what you're – okay. Because yeah, yeah. he said he needed to make it harder on himself, yeah. so he has to pick what – because he was so right last time. He has to make sure he, he looks even more well, correct. It, it, if you get that right, Scott, then then I – question whether or not you have some sort of like psychic powers because that's
1: crazy scott scott picked the bruins and five over the capitals and the only reason that it was that it it was correct was because the capitals top six literally didn't do a thing literally didn't do a damn thing um but i cannot argue with scott's results and i will take his word in fact i was enticed to say bruins and five i'm not going to to be different um i wouldn't be surprised if it were to go seven um, because of the, um, the first round for both teams having what I believe will be f- just about full crowds. I think it will make a difference in the series. I have both teams split in the first four, don't know what order, and then I have the Bruins ultimately winning the final two um, in five and six. I like the Bruins in six. Um, I think it's going to be a good series. I think that if the Bruins want to win a cup this year, they're going to have to earn it with some very, very uh, four, four solid opponents. I mean, to go through Washington and the, and the Islanders – to get to the final four, where you'll you'll have a date with either you know Colorado or Tampa or you know Vegas or whomever, um, and then get to the Cup Finals. It's going to be a grind. So if the Bruins win the Cup this year, they're going to have to really earn it. I think any team would, but I, I I'm really excited um, for the intangibles. I'm really excited for the for the full for the full crowds to get some normality back, um, or normalcy. I don't even can you use both normality normalcy. Which one's the right word there? Uh, um, journalism major, Scott English major. I think "normalcy." Normalcy sounds more right. We'll go with both, so we can't. So I can't be <laughs> wrong either way. Um, but yeah, like last year with the bubble, um, up in Toronto, the world was in a place where like you literally couldn't leave your house. So to get NHL hockey on your TV with no fans was something. But I think we're at a point now where uh, let's it's time to rock and roll, and you guys will be at the game Saturday night. Um. I won't be. It's going to be my father's birthday, and uh, it's also Memorial Day weekend, right? So people will be having some yep. fun. It's going to be rocking down in Boston Saturday. You guys should uh, definitely – well, I know you'll be on the clock, but if I were you, I'd have some fun fun Saturday. And that's why Brian isn't getting a credential. <laughs> what? Come He's on got, now. <laughs> oh, my Finn God. Brian. I, I'm, still, I'm still just waiting for the day that I get up there and just cause, cause havoc. People are going to be like, who the hell let this kid up here? But, he um, shows up to the, to the media row with a beer and <laughs> some nachos. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not cut out for, for the beat life. I'm just like, I feel like if I would have ever ask somebody a question after a game, I would just start laughing. I don't know why. I just, that's just my, that's just who I am. Like I, I don't know why. Anyway, um, are there any closing thoughts you guys had? We'll, we'll obviously talk again um during the series, but before we, um we take off here.
2: No, just, Excited for Saturday, 8 p.m. start on Saturday of Memorial Day weekend. I think uh, to, to use a famous Tom Brady quote, I think the crowd will be pretty lubed up.
1: Yeah, eight o'clock. Are you sure it's gonna start at eight, Scott, or maybe eight forty? Or... No, it's
2: on NBC, so it's gonna be like eight twenty-four or something. So
1: it's not it, eight eight thirty-four, eight forty-four. Yeah. Is Jack done for the year? Is Jack is Jack on summer vacation yep. too, with with Ovi? I think he might if he does like some studio shows or stuff but yeah they're they're done with the calls no more nepsons mm, thank god thank god um bridget did you have any closing thoughts
0: no i think we we covered pretty much all the bases we need to cover and obviously we're putting out another series preview article uh tomorrow morning so friday morning uh we're gonna talk about you'll hear more about who we think the x factors will be um so just look for that i guess
1: Awesome. Sounds good. All right. Go follow the skate pod on Twitter. Go follow Scott. Go follow Bridget. Email skate pod at weei.com Scott, correct me if I'm wrong on that with any questions or, or comments regarding correct. the series or the podcast or whatever. And, um, you know, obviously anytime you want to reach out to us on social media, you can, uh, with questions and we'll be happy to talk about them on here and, and all that good stuff. So, um, thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you guys, uh, in a few days. Probably.